Hello, everyone. Dr. Stillman here, and today I'm joined by Jim, La Jim Laird, as always, or as usually, I should say. Quote of the day today, research is to see what everybody else has seen and to think what nobody else has thought. Albert St. Georgi, he discovered vitamin C, won the Nobel Prize for it. Uh, brilliant, brilliant scientist. He had a lot of really good quotes. I'll be quoting him a lot. And this uh, quote was brought to me, brought to mind to me by this article on semaglutide that we've linked to at peteratmd.com. We see or have seen some clips of Peter making the rounds on social media recently um, talking about semaglutide and the problems with it. What we want or what I want you to know and the reason why I bring up this quote from Albert St. Georgi about this topic is that what St. Georgi is saying is that people are going to see the same information and most of them are going to come up with the same conclusion, but a small proportion, in fact, sometimes a vanishingly small proportion, are going to see what the other people don't see. And the problem with things like semaglutide is that when you really dig into some of the data and clinical trial data, you see the problems with the drug. And the real problem with semaglutide is that you may lose weight but a high proportion of the weight you lose is lean, lean body mass. That's bone and muscle. And this creates a lot of problems long-term with strategies for weight loss and body composition optimization and overall health and longevity, which Peter gets into in the article. He's done a number of videos and, and recordings on this. Jim and I have talked about this a lot. We don't have anybody on semaglutide. We've discouraged people who work with us from taking it. Um, Jim, what are your thoughts on this? Well, you know, there's there's always different tools in the toolbox, right? And they all have trade-offs. And, you know, it's just uh, another one of those um, kind of workarounds for for modern life. You know, uh, you know, people, people's lifestyle, um, the way we set up our modern world is leading to obesity. You know, people living a more indoor life, people not eating real food, people not having active jobs. And we're trying to find these these quick fixes, right? And um, some of them work for short periods of time, but they all have, you know, no matter what it is, you know, whatever tool you're using, they all have consequences, right? So um, you have to kind of weigh those consequences and see and see what uh, what the trade offs are, and if you're willing to accept those trade offs or not. But I, but from what I've seen from this stuff. Uh, and I've also you know, I've heard a couple of colleagues of mine talk about uh, some of the digestive tract issues that it can cause, um, messing the digestive tract up and the timing of the digestive tract, and some nightmare scenarios from that. So you know, it's just like anything else. Like if you use a fat burner or whatever else, there, there's um, there's consequences and then you know ramifications of that. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, we talk about the mistakes people make in thinking about weight loss is that it's about weight loss and not about body composition optimization. Peter right. talks about that in the article that he, he wrote. I really appreciate that he, he makes that distinction. Um, and at the end of the day, you know, we talk about this all the time. People don't care about so much or shouldn't care what the scale says. This is one of my most recent Substack posts. Uh, they don't care so much about what the sale, scale says. They care about how they look and how they feel. People need to need to move away from being fixated on the number and start paying attention to how they look, how they feel, you know, what dress size they are, how many inches their waist is, things like that. And a lot of progress is actually positive that people think of as being negative. You know, you can put inches on your waist by doing the proper exercises. 
where you're improving your core strength, you're improving your, your mobility, you're improving your ability, your explosive power. We talk about how important that is in anti-aging medicine. And people don't think about these things. They just think, oh, the number is worse. It's not what it's supposed to be based on these totally arbitrary societal norms based on, you know, what is really the extreme of the Gaussian distribution of body types. And they don't really have a respect for their own biochemical and biophysical individuality. You know, it's been amazing working with you. You know, you look at people and you see how their proportions are different. People have different lengths of different levers, their forearms, you know, their arm, upper arms, their lower extremities, their spines, you know, two people the same height can have radically different body proportions. Mm -hmm. And that can have a powerful impact on how they do different exercises or should do different exercises. Yep. The big one is different rib cage shapes, you know, mm. narrow infrasternal angle versus wide infrasternal angle. I'm a, we're right. complete opposite. I'm a wide infrasternal angle. Mm -hmm. I'm going to have the ability, like a wide body is going to create lots of force in a straight line, explosive power. I'm not going to be so good at turning. Uh, whereas you're the opposite. You're narrow. You're really good at turning. You know? Yeah. So right. there's a lot of that that takes into account. But the women in particular seem to be the ones that are really caught up on a certain number. You know, when I work with ladies, I'm always like, well, what if, if you get down to 120, what if you look like crap? I mean, would you rather be 135 and look really good and athletic? Because most women will will tell me, they'll be like, okay, you know, like, what's your ideal body type? And they'll they'll point at, like, a volleyball player or somebody like that. And I'm like, okay, um, you know, these are the kind of things you need to do to – you know, most women are not looking at, like, elite marathon runners uh, or people that are like that and saying, I want to look like that. Right, because those people, to be blunt, yeah, look terrible. Different societies – you know, also, you know, in the past, people that were moderately obese were considered attractive because those are the people that could actually afford to eat. Right. So these standards um, change as time goes on. And, you know, the, the big thing is 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 kind of treating your body really well and, and being being healthy and um, and letting your body kind of figure out where it runs best. And there was John Berardi of Precision Nutrition. They have a really good article that talks about like the consequences of leanness, right? And it has like, you know, as a woman gets leaner and leaner and leaner, or as a guy gets leaner and leaner and leaner, the price you have to pay, you know, and some people are just wired a certain way. You know, some people like I carry more muscle no matter what I do. Uh, my dad's never lifted weight in his life. He's still very similar to me. He carries a lot of muscle, even though he's never done any strength training. Um, I've just kind of, you know, added on to that, but there's going to be certain people that run lean. There's going to be certain people that run a little bit bigger, but as you get, you know, leaner and leaner and leaner for generally speaking, particularly when it comes to women, there are trade-offs to that. And then most people don't want to live a life where they're walking around like a competition bodybuilder with Tupperwares of, of food, um, you know, and, um, you know, that, that's just kind of how you have to decide. And so that's the, the key to, you know, working on your sleep, getting outside, managing your stress, doing some a good solid weight program and doing some general exercise and then kind of letting your body figure out where it runs best and what's best, best for, its, for your health uh, and not really, you know, comparing yourself to, to somebody else or someone on the cover of Oxygen Magazine or somebody on Instagram who's probably Photoshopping your photos, who's probably on, 
you know, growth hormone or insulin or clombuterol or whatever else or Anavar or whatever else they're on, um, you know, getting to the point, point where you, you feel good in your body and your, your body is performing at a, at a decent level that doesn't take any kind of extreme measures, you know, unless of course you're getting paid to be an actor or an actress or things like that. And that's where you have to make decisions based on trade-offs. Yeah, absolutely. And we talk about trade-offs with people all the time. And it's one of the reasons why you don't see us leading with things like supplements or just randomly recommending that everyone do this exercise or that exercise because we see such a variety. And that's really what we do. You know, fundamentally what Jim and I do is we work with people either one-on-one -on -one or in group coaching settings or in courses where we explain the underlying principles so that you can then be empowered to improve your health on your own. And that's one of the things that's most disturbing about trends in modern medicine in our country is that, and I think this trend is really rapidly losing steam because it's so unsustainable and unhealthy, but the trend for the last 40, 50, 60 years is basically don't pay attention to the underlying causes of the problems, pay attention to the solution that comes in a box, a bottle or a bag. Manage symptoms. Can make the problem go away. But really what people are doing, you know, as with semaglutide is they're they're fixing the number without really addressing the problem. And then they're setting themselves up for failure in the future when they don't have any more lean muscle mass to lose or lean body mass to lose. You know, we talk about this all the time, but it, it, people, people need to hear it again is that when you lose lean muscle mass, you're setting yourself up, or I should say lean body mass. You're setting yourself up for falls when you're much older, you're setting yourself up for broken bones, fractures, Mortality for people with a hip fracture is something like 25 to 50% in the year after the fracture. And you might not be thinking about that at 40 or 50 or even 60, but you need to be thinking about it because the reality is that's how a lot of people actually die. They yeah. fall, they break a hip, they develop a pneumonia, they have a perioperative complication, they don't get back on their feet, they lose their vitality, they lose their mobility. Next thing they know, they're spending the last years of their life in a nursing home. And this isn't the kind of thing that people are attracted to listening to or hearing about or reading about. But one of the things that we are not, I mean, we're just not afraid to do it is just tell people what's really going on, even when it's un unfortunate and sad and disturbing. You know, it's so easy to just, you know, we, if we wanted to, we could throw out ads, you know, for our weight loss program, we'd put everybody on semaglutide and testosterone and, you know, amphetamines legal amphetamines, the kind that the DEA allows us to prescribe, me to prescribe anyway. And we'd get everybody to lose weight, but we wouldn't be really doing them any favors. We would be hurting them quite frankly. Oh, we could put somebody in a sauna for a couple hours too and make them lose 10 or 15 pounds. Yeah, it's the old weightlifter trick. Yeah, so I mean, that, that, we could cut people's limbs off. That's a good way to lose weight. Jeez, yeah, it's bad, <laughs> really bad. You know, yeah. I think people don't understand as well as they forget that you know, like storing body fat is a, is a survival response, right? And so addressing the overall health of the body, get the body healthy so it doesn't have to carry around so much energy, right? And uh, that's what it comes down to is your body's inability to produce enough energy. And, um, you know, people, people just don't really look at it from that perspective. They don't. And a lot of people get frustrated with us when they may gain weight when they start doing something that we told them to do when they were very explicit with us and said, look, I wanted to lose weight. Mm -hmm. And we we're always very clear with them. Look, you don't want to lose weight. You want to optimize your body composition. You shouldn't care about what the scale says. You should care about how you look and how you feel. 
And a lot of the time, what people need to do is they need to gain a certain amount of weight as either water. Uh, sometimes they need to gain it as glycogen, so carbohydrate in their in their muscles, so that they can then use that energy, use that matter in order to get rid of the fat mass that they've accumulated over the years. You know, when you're getting rid of fat, there's toxins stored in that fat that have to be eliminated. So you need to be, you need to be properly hydrated. There are uh, obviously metabolic considerations, right? You need enough muscle to burn the fat. The less muscle you have, the harder it's going to be to lose weight. That's obvious. It's part of why, you know, weight training for us is something that we recommend to everyone who works with us. And, you know, it's one of the things that for the longest time was something I didn't understand or realize very, very, very few doctors understand the value of weight bearing exercise to the patient. And almost none of them have a good strategy for integrating it. And most of them are just going to say, well, go to your gym, get a membership, get a trainer or whatever. And as you and I have seen, see regularly at the gym, you know, trainers are, are pushing people into strategies, pushing people into emotions and biomechanics that are actually destroying their ability to exercise long term, which is why so many people are coming to us with not only some kind of solid organ or tissue problem, autoimmune disease, cancer, you name it. But they're also coming to us and they don't um, they have real serious joint problems, low back problems, et cetera, that are really impairing their ability to exercise, period. Yeah, and that just comes down to, you know, a sedentary modern life and then going to the gym and using survival type strategies to do the exercise regimen that they're on, you know. Yeah. And so, you know, not including enough um, variability and, and driving the strategies they're using to function even further down the road. And that's a really hard concept for a lot of people to uh, to kind of understand. Right. Um, it took me a long time. Wrong. Exercise is great. But a lot of times, if you're doing things in a way that are basically just um, limiting your movement options, you end up in big trouble. It's kind of like a, a, a manual transmission on a car. Uh, if you've got six-speed manual, I know a lot of you probably haven't driven a manual. And if you're doing exercises that take away gears, you know, all of a sudden you lose sixth while you're in fifth, while your engine has to work harder. You lose fifth gear, okay, so you're driving down the highway and your engine's having to rev even harder. And you lose third, you lose second. And for some athletes, we actually want to take gears away. There's certain athletes we don't want to all have all the movement options available, right? But for a general person, you want them to have a wide variety of movement variability. And if they're doing specific exercises that the strategy they're using takes away from their ability to move in different ways, that ends up putting a lot of stress on the system over time. Absolutely. Especially when you don't shut down those strategies when you leave the gym. You know, that's why a lot of bros are walking around with a you know constant low back pump or you know, they're stiff as can be and they can't turn, you know, real well. Um, you know, they become a professional gym bro and uh, and then they sit in a desk all day and then they end up, you know, with a lot of pain. Right. Sucks. And that's why I wrote my book, Dying to Be Free. You can check that out through the link, the link tree below. That A link to the, uh, the book on Amazon is in, in that uh, link tree. Because I saw all these problems with the medical system, it made me very disgusted with how things were. I didn't see anybody inside the conventional system really standing up to these 
perverse incentives. You know, perverse incentives, if you've never heard of them, are incentives that um, incentivize someone to do something that's bad for their customer, in this case, the patient. So semaglutide is a great example of a, what I would call a perverse incentive. You know, uh, the the company or healthcare system or, or doctor who's selling you the semaglutide or the pharmacist, they have an incentive to sell you the drug because they can make a pro profit on the margin. Uh, they also have an incentive to, you know, be prescribing you things because prescribing you things keeps you coming back for follow-up visits because you can't get it without the prescription pad and the prescribing authority. You may need to have laboratory monitoring. You may develop side effects from the drug that then require more drugs and more appointments. So drug therapy, pharmaceutical therapy is a very powerful business model, which explains why it's the dominant paradigm in healthcare and has been for a long time. But as we've been talking about, it creates a lot of long-term problems because it doesn't address the underlying issue. And I get into this in the book. I get into how medical research can be perverted and how great medical information can basically be lost to history, which is why so much of what I do is just remembering things that my colleagues don't have the curiosity or the interest to ever learn, let alone remember. And I teach you know my patients all this when they work with me either one-on-one -on -one or work with me in uh, group coaching programs with Jim. And so the book is called Dying to be Free. Again, it's available on Amazon. And Jim and I are gonna be presenting at Anarchapulco's uh, non-conformist series this weekend, which we wanna make sure you all know about. It is a uh, online summit, it's a virtual summit. We have a presentation late in the day on Saturday and then we have a round table at 8 p.m. that night where we will be discussing a lot of these problems with the modern healthcare uh, system and what you can do to set yourself free from that system. Because as you no doubt realize, if you're watching this, the system is imploding because of the weight of disease that's being created by the way that doctors are treating patients and the way that they're prescribing uh, drugs. Because the system can't cope with the weight of disease, pun intended, since this is technically a video about a weight loss drug. Uh, that's being created by these patterns of healthcare, and it's probably better called sick care. And that's, it's actually one of the problems with the way that we take care of our people. We'll have people come in regularly who, you know, we help get them into the habits they need. We help get them well, and then they actually don't necessarily need to keep following up with us. So we constantly have to be seeing new people and attracting new clients, customers, patients, whatever you want to call them, which we're happy to do because it's a lot more gratifying um, and uh, you can't put a price on being able to live with yourself. You know, and, and that's, you know, that if you look at the Medicare medical industry in general, you know, if you walk into any doctor's office or hospital, you're not going to see fit people taking care of you. You know, there are some rare exceptions. And a lot of the people that are standouts in this kind of hybrid space of uh, people that have kind of combined, you know, the, uh, health and wellness plus the, the medical deal most of them have gotten themselves you know like myself or or even you the reason you became passionate about this is because of health issues you were having mm -hmm. so you kind of explored some different avenues as opposed to just throwing another medication at it um but most of the doctors don't even know how to be healthy themselves yeah um, that's right i was gonna say so, that so how are you gonna teach people to be healthy if you can't even you know control your own health right no i know um, we see a and lot of really unhealthy providers. Everybody has to be perfect, but um, 
you know, they don't teach, they don't teach health and wellness and nutrition and medical school. I know. You know they don't, they don't teach about these things. They only, they only basically talk about, you know, drugs. I mean, so. Yeah. And I think one of the biggest problems is that they, when they do talk about it, they say, they give it lip service and they say diet and exercise are really important. But as I like to say, you know, what diet, what exercise, right? when and how much and for how long. Right. Because what you'll find is that people will, they're just strategies. They're just tools. Right. They'll use keto to lose 30 pounds. And then they'll wonder why they can't lose the last hundred that they want to lose. Well, and they don't realize a lot of that is just water, you know. And we talked about, I think, on our live yesterday, that exact topic. You know, problems people have with weight loss, why they can't lose weight, why they're struggling, why sometimes their instincts for going keto, low carb, carnivore, whatever, uh, can sometimes be a real disservice to them in the long run because they don't understand a lot of the physiology behind long-term dieting versus short-term dieting. Right. Yeah. Well, and the, and the thing is too, like exercise in today's society has become more entertainment than it has actual about getting results. Absolutely. Right. So, so what you might need to do to make improvements to your body and to your overall health might be totally different than what you need to be to do to be entertained. Right. And that, and that's what I always used to tell the clients that come into my gym, you're paying me to make you do the shit you wouldn't do on your own. Right. And a lot of that is the warm up stuff, the stuff that they find boring, you know, the, you know, all the floor warm up stuff, you know, working on exercises they suck at. You know, because most people, when they go to the gym, are only going to want to do the things that they're good at. They're not going to want to work on the things they suck at, right? And I hate to say this, but most people are, are too conceited to admit that they need to pay someone to hold them accountable. Right. That they need to have that person who they're going to for the guidance and just... Well, well and most people, too, are, are just don't understand how much, how important daily low level movement is you know not only for your for your body but for your mental health um and then you know most people just totally blow off circadian rhythm they don't even think about how important it is to get outside uh, these things are just like not even a, it's an afterthought for most people they're just like well they just kind of go along their day and they don't think about the consequences of never getting outside you know they just Absolutely. don't even I know i know i didn't i never you know, before I was like, when I was training really hard, was in the gym from five in the morning till till eight at night every day. Um, I was like, well, what's the big deal? I'm, I'm healthy. I'm working out. I'm, I've got six pack, you know. Um, I'm healthy. Yeah. What could go wrong? That's what I felt. I was strong and I felt invincible. I wasn't probably very healthy, but uh, I definitely felt like I was. Yeah. And I want to add something to the, what I just said. You know, I said most people are too conceited to admit they need the accountability. I don't, I think, you know, the better way of saying that is really that people will fall into the mistake of thinking that they don't need the accountability or they don't need the guidance. And so often what happens is they're coming to us when they've realized that six months ago, a year ago, two years ago, three years ago, they should have bitten the bullet and worked with us and gotten on top of the problem before it was so big. And the thing that, uh, I don't know if, disappoints or frustrates us is that we'll see people running after things like semaglutide uh, when they're not even engaging with a solid process like we offer. And I tell patients very clearly, because I learned this the hard way, the number one and two reasons that we see in what we do for therapeutic failure are failure to engage 
failure to engage and failure to execute. And engage means talk to me, talk to Jim, talk to whoever you're enlisting in your, you know, your your mission to get good good healthcare and to be healthy and well. Um, but also to uh, to execute and actually do and follow through on what is being recommended. I can't tell you how many people we we see. I mean, the vast majority of people fall into this category at some point. But the people who really struggle and the people who really don't get well, the overwhelming trend is that we'll have things that we think they need to do that end up falling by the wayside or being ignored or not being executed properly. And execution is everything. It's not a matter of, oh, well, I went outside and I did the three, three, three walks you told me to do a day. Well, how did you do them? Did you do them with really loud music blasting into your ears through, through headphones that are wireless? You know, did you do it while you were on the phone with somebody who's absolutely toxic, ruining your mindset, ruining your, your life with their uh, lack of boundaries, their issues, whatever? These little details matter in the job that we often find ourselves doing is helping people to uncover what's actually making them sick that they think sometimes is part of their actual wellness routine. Well, and a lot of times, too, I think, you know, people don't, you know, you have to take accept the reality of, as a coach anyways that some people are just not ready and some people haven't suffered enough right and, absolutely and that's why there's you know different people in these uh in these spaces um that have different messages to meet people where they are you know you've got some people that are very outspoken and very extreme i would consider compare them to a southern baptist minister you know, the fire and brimstone and then you got people with more of a subtle message and a lot of times it's finding the right person you might have heard the same message over and over it's finding the right person that resonates with you and then is able to start people off with a small enough habit where they can actually be successful there's very few people that can just hit the ground ground, ground running and change everything at once usually it's one or two small things and a lot of times it's taking a look at what somebody's doing and making it more efficient, condensing it. So it's highly individual, but a lot, a lot of times, you know, people, they just have to, a lot of people, including myself, I have to crash my car before I'll make changes. That's just my personality. That's just the way I am. And a lot of people, you know, um, the plane has to be driving straight into the ground before they'll actually make a, make a change. Right. I think that's a really important point. So many people come in to a healing journey and think that the answer is more, more, more all the time, more intensity, and they bite off way more than they can chew. And then they get overwhelmed by the change or the change is more stressful than they appreciated. And it, they end up quitting because they, they took on too much. And that's one of the things that I think of, of everything we do, it's the most interesting challenge is actually looking at their data and trying to figure out what they're actually ready for. You know, when we have somebody who comes in and says, well, look, I'm ready to do all the things and I'm doing all the things. Well, let's look at, you know, what's that doing to your HRV? What's that doing to your respiratory rate? What's that doing to your sleep? How do you feel? How do you move? How do you think? Like I said before, so often what people think is part of their wellness routine is really part of their problem. Yeah, simplification is a big, especially if you've worked with athletes, like you, you, when you work with like, if you're an NFL coach, it's much better to give somebody 
you know, two or three things they do really well so they don't have to think than it is to give them 40 things that, that they have to think about, right? Absolutely. So it's the yeah. same thing with, with coaching people. You've got to simplify things and make it so people can do them and do them well. And then you build on that. And then every person's a little bit different. Some people are going to need more things. Other people are going to need less things. Um, and a lot of times when people get into this space, especially when they start learning about circadian rhythms and all these different things that they haven't really heard of before, they start researching this stuff and they dive in and they get so deep into it that it almost creates a bigger stress <laughs> than they were before. So Absolutely. With information. We see the same thing with mold and Lyme and all these other diagnoses that get, you know, bandied about on the internet. And, you know, it's unfortunate that so many people get overwhelmed by them. Uh, so overwhelmed sometimes that it's, it's, it creates an illness all on its own. And what they really need is someone to say, slow down, relax, stay positive, do the basic things you can do, control the things you can control and make a solid plan for, you know, getting more things in your life under your control and then make decisions about what you're going to worry about, what you're not going to worry about. Because in, in our modern world, you know, we talk about this with people on a regular basis. You, you, if you really want to be radically healthy, you would have to do things like sell all your worldly possessions and move to a tropical island and eat a local and seasonal diet. And if that's just not compatible with your goals in life, then you'd better get used to the idea that you're going to be exposed to a certain amount of pollution, whether that's EMF or light pollution or noise pollution or heavy metals or petroleum toxins or mold toxins, because, you know, unless you decide to disconnect from the world, you're going to be exposed to what the world's putting out. So, well, even if you do do that, if you don't have a good solid community there, you're going to be miserable. Well, that's why we have to also talk to you about what their purpose is and what their, what their passion is, because if you disconnect someone from their passion and their purpose, um, I mean, that's what drives so many of them. You, know, you talk to people who've lived a long time. So many of them are very clear that what kept them going was their passion and their purpose. And we see that all the time. I mean, we'll see people's labs who are absolutely demolished. And I'm sort of wondering what's holding them up. And it's always clear in those cases that what's holding them up is something that they absolutely can't uh, not do, whether it's being a parent or running their business or fulfilling a purpose that's higher than just you know running a business or making money some kind of um, deep spiritual pursuit something like that uh, and sometimes it's pain you know some people they, they need there's something holding them holding them back is I think the wrong wrong word but it's it's, it's keeping them going because they haven't resolved uh, the pain or the the um, you know, the negative feelings they have about events in their past. Yeah. Resentment is a, is a big ball and chain. That's for sure. And it's really funny because in the hospital, you know, you, what people would say is you know, a typical thing you'd hear on the, on the cancer wards sort of behind really behind closed doors is, well, that person's so nice. You know, that patient is so nice. And everyone knows that the nice people in the cancer ward have a funny way of, of dying sooner. And if you have a really mean patient in the hospital, no matter how sick they get, no matter how, dysfunctional they are no matter how bad their labs are they just keep seem to keep coming back frankly sometimes almost just just, just seems like to just abuse the staff uh, and the people who are still in their lives and that's one of the funny things about about life like you know like we've, we've, like we've said pain will keep people around you don't want that to be you but that means you've got to connect to a positive purpose which is also one of the most healing things that people can do
Well, Doc, you got to get on another call here. I do. But um, great chatting with people this morning. Thanks for joining us. We appreciate you all tuning in. Don't forget to share, like, comment, subscribe, send this to someone who needs to hear it. And uh, we look forward, hopefully, to seeing you at the Nonconformist Summit this Saturday. Jim, is there a link for that? In yeah, your bio? there's a link. In, it should be. There's a link in your link tree. There should be a link in my link tree. I actually think I forgot to add the link to my link tree. You need to do that now. Okay. Um, so, yeah, you can sign up if you're through my link. It's totally free. You're going to you know, talk to a lot of people who are going to give you ways to break free from the current system. And we have a weight loss webinar coming up as well on next weekend. And you can also sign up for that. We hope uh, to see you all there. A free video in the link. And thanks for thanks for joining us on our on our journey. We look forward to seeing you all soon.